Welcome back, everybody, to the Nosebleed Sports Podcast. I'm Chris Witt. With me, as always, is Mr. Adam Schmidt. Adam, how are you today, sir? I'm amazing. How are you? Wonderful, because today we have my favorite writer of every Inquirer writer there is, elder graduate, oh, by far, Xavier Basketball. You know that whoever the Xavier Basketball writer is my favorite writer at all times. If you're on YouTube right now watching this, then you already see his his beautiful mug. Mr. (laughs) Adam Baum, how are you, man? I'm good, man. Thank you for that introduction. It means a lot to me. And I feel like uh, at the top of the show, we should probably just get it out of the way. You know, I know people are thinking about it. People are talking about it, but the elder Panthers are ranked number one in the state right now, boys. So uh, I was going to talk to to you about. Uh, How about that? How about them Panthers, baby? How much have you gotten to watch them? Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about elder is, you know, nowadays it really doesn't matter the sport. It doesn't matter if you're there, they've got, this production crew that that does just amazing work you can watch all their games so i've gotten to watch them quite a few times and they're a scrappy bunch man um you know they they obviously i think you could scour the roster you're not going to find any division one prospects on that thing but they uh, they know how to play together and i think that's a huge thing at the high school level is having guys on the floor that are comfortable with each other that can kind of complement each other the way that they do and Man, it, it's fun to see an elder basketball team, you know, ranked up there at the top of the state. It is. I'll tell you, it is awesome. Uh, Adam and I both uh, were fortunate enough to be at elder when they made some some deep runs into the playoffs. And it was the same way. You know, the, 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 it's fun to watch these high school basketball teams go up against guys that are superstars. And they're division, like you said, high division one players, and then just see a bunch of little dudes go out on the floor, play together, play well, be in the right spots, make the right shot, make the right pass, and and that's what they do, you know. So it's it's great. I got to watch them in the final four back in well, I guess I was a junior, I want to say 2000, 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. Adam had Adam had uh, the great Walt Kelsey. Uh, in his, in his, he was a year older than you or two years older? He was in my class. Oh, he was in your class. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam was, Adam was manager of that team. Uh, so he got to practice with them every day. So we've got, and I was a freshman. So that was a unbelievable, it was unbelievable. And I love that these kids get to do the same thing now. Yeah. Hopefully they can go on a run this year, man. That'd be cool to watch. I feel like it's been a little while since we've seen an elder basketball team going go on a nice little postseason run so hopefully they can make that happen yeah they 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 went on a little run last year they got a little further I think for the kind of regular season they had they went a little further than was expected yeah, that's right. but, but this is a this is a better team I mean they're a better team this year and I, I as a fan I'm always when my team is ranked number one in anything I always get way nervous I'm like no I don't want to be number one I don't know I know that feeling because that's part of the mystique I think about elder why elder people love elder because it, elder is more to me like you said that you know they never have division one prospects they don't have the the kids that Moeller has in basketball and you know a lot of the just they just don't have that typically and it's no matter what kind of season they're having even when elders a little down in a the sport they almost always get at least one of those big upset wins against like a 
whether it's a GCL team or like a team that's like really highly ranked, maybe a, an Ignatius or a St. Ed's or something in football. Like we, we've had so many games like that in, in years where you maybe don't quite expect uh, Elder to beat teams or compete with teams like that. And they always come up with something like that. And that's, that's what like makes it, that's why elder people are, <laughs> that's why people are like, why are you so into your high school? You're you 20 years ago. And it's like, uh, you just, you really like the t-shirts. It's kind of, they're kind of corny, but it, you, it's kind it's like, you really don't understand unless you live it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. I couldn't agree more. To this day, the up until up until they wouldn't let him in anymore. Adam hasn't missed a, Adam hadn't missed a basketball game in years until they, yeah. until they forced him out. They forced him until, out. Speaking of being until COVID, COVID yeah, until thwarted thwarted your streak, man. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you're right though. The the and it's it's mostly student run too, and they do an awesome job of, yeah. of getting everything up and and making it a, a pretty good production. Uh, so that's that's awesome. I love it. So big props to the elder to the elder uh, production team. Yeah, I've, yeah, man. Some I've, only, I've only watched two games this year, but but they do a good job too. It looks good. They do. I've gotten to go back and uh, and talk to the journalism class, and like even just some of the investments that they've made into developing that stuff is pretty remarkable. Like what it's become since I was there is crazy now man it's like if i was in high school right now i'd be i'd be like a kid in a candy store dude they got all the tools all the all the little toys so it's pretty cool that they've taken that they've taken ownership of that and they they realize how important it is and to be honest like a lot of these elder students they're going to come out of there and they're going to be ready for you know whatever if they want to go into this business, they're going to have like real tangible experience that they can point to and be like, I was a part of this in high school. That's like, that's huge for getting off the ground. <clears throat> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Well, speaking of getting off the ground, Xavier Musketeers uh, have not been able to really get on the ground or on the floor here for, I don't know. I feel like it's been almost three weeks. What are we at? 14 days, 12, 14, 15 days. Uh, Friday night will be 19 days since their last game. Insane. So crazy. Supposed to play. And well, I go ahead. It's uh, it's a little bit touch and go right now. So you know, Xavier. A few hours ago, they sent out their pregame media notes. They were going to have a press conference with Travis Steele tomorrow. So by by that indication it makes it seem like they're confident that they're going to go there and play. But earlier today, it was announced that Butler and UConn played last night on Tuesday night. And one of the officials in that game tested positive after the game. So UConn has already postponed their next two games, I think against Villanova and I forget the other one. But basically from the people that I've spoken to, it sounds like this is a product of where you live um, because the local health deport, the local health boards and departments have a say in this. And I, my understanding is that the reason that UConn already had to postpone, even without having anyone within their program test positive is because of local health officials and the rules that they have in place. So I think that Butler and Indiana, I think they're a little bit more, I don't want to say relaxed, but 
I just think that they have some different policies that are going to allow this game to happen on Friday night, which is, is good news for Xavier fans because, as we mentioned, man, it's, it's felt like just longest time since they've played a basketball game. It's crazy. And, and we've got so many new faces. It's, it's almost like I have to get back on the app and look back at the team roster just so I can remember who everybody is. Exactly. It's, it's insane. Um, so speaking of everybody, hopefully they do play number one. Uh, I mean, obviously Adam, uh, Schmidt, if it's safe, hopefully they play. <laughs> I, 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 I know where you're coming from. Know what your next thing you're going to say is as long as it's safe, I hope they play. That being said, that being said, tell me about Kiki. He's had two weeks now over almost three weeks to get back in. I'm not going to say he was in bad graces because Steele never really talks bad about him. But there's something going on there. Any any idea if we're going to get to see this this? I mean, he's he's a 12 point run in 30 seconds waiting to happen, and he's not playing basketball. I know it's uh, it's one of the more confusing things that's emerged this season. I think because you know we've already seen him at times this year. I mean, through the first three games, he was their third leading scorer. He essentially carried them in that Toledo game. Um, with 24 points and you know from what I've heard he's struggling in practice and and this is this is the problem that I think that fans and and people outside the program struggle to understand it's that you know they've seen him get hot like you said a 12-0 run all by himself and you know Travis has not done himself any favors by continuing to to state that he's the best shooter in the program why aren't you playing the best shooter in the program? And it, it, it comes down to those two. It comes down to two things. It comes down to number one, if you can't produce in practice, that creates this void of trust. Like if he can't trust you and you can't show that you can do this stuff in practice, it's going to make it hard for him to play you in the games. And then on top of it, when he has gotten in the games, he hasn't looked great recently. And I think part of it is, you know, he's kind of moved further down that bench. And I think that's gotten in his head a little bit and and he may be a little gun shy, but he gets in the game and he makes unnecessary mistakes. And and part of the problem this year is Xavier has depth. So like, as opposed to last year, they needed him to come into the game and it was, Hey Kiki, go in there, do your thing and score the basketball. And that's really all he had to worry about because he knew that there was a short bench he knew that even if he made some mistakes, he was going to get the opportunity to play through those. That's not the case this year because you got guys like Adam Kunkel and Dwan Odom and Colby Jones and, you know, CJ Wilcher's starting to get a little bit more playing time. So it's like, if you, if you continue to make the same mistakes this year, you're not going to have the opportunity to play through those. And I think that's what he's struggling with right now. But I do know this from people that I've talked to within the program, Um, I can't predict what's going to happen in the future, but it sounds like he is committed to, to sort of seeing this through and trying to play his way out of this slump. So that's obviously good news. Cause I mean, with a guy like this, you you about that transfer portal. Oh, it scares me to death because you know, the potential this kid has and you see it, you've seen it. You saw it. We saw it. We all saw it last year. The talent level is through the roof. I know Zager, you know, uh, Mac was always about it. Steele always talks about it. 
you don't play, you don't play in practice, you ain't gonna play in the game. And you see it happening, especially like, especially like you said, since they've gotten Kunkel has come on, they've they've allowed Kunkel before Ben Stanley went out. You know, they're just constantly bringing guys into these games. And uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Nate Johnson, who the guy shot fifty percent in the game and his three point percentage went down. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So. But uh, real quick, let me let me ask you some stuff about Kunkel. This kid seems like a super good kid. Uh, can definitely shoot the ball. At first, I thought he was kind. Of, I, I thought he was uh, a little slow on defense. And the more I watch him, he is he's he's a he's a pretty good defender. Not necessarily on the ball, more off the ball where he's at. You see him sneak rebounds and and yes. constantly getting tips underneath the basket on shots. I kind of like the way this kid plays all around. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, you look at him and and physically he has some work to do, you know, he needs to pack some muscle onto that frame, but you think about it like this, he's coming in and, um, and he's playing in the big East, dude. Like he was at Belmont. Okay. (laughs) Belmont to the Big East, it's a big leap. Like the dudes are bigger, the dudes are faster, they're more physical. That that in and of itself means he's going to need some time to sort of figure this out. And I think the speed with which he's shown that he is figuring it out it is a huge, huge benefit for this team because this is a guy that that they don't just have this year. They have him next year and the year after. So he's going to be a huge important part of this going forward because, you know, I can see you doing the math in your head right now, Chris, that this is a free year this year. So he came, he was going to redshirt this year and then he was going to have two years of eligibility left anyway, but this year is a free year for everyone on the roster. So he gets to play this year and he still has two more years after this. So he's going to be a good one. Once he, you know, he spends some time in the weight room, he gets more familiar with the system. Um, And one of the things I really like about him, and I think is a big reason why he's earned the playing time that he has thus far, is he's smart. He's intelligent out there on the floor. He knows spots. He knows where to be. Um, You know, you saw it on that game winner that Colby Jones hit against Providence. Like, that was a design play for him to get downhill, dribble handoff off of the screen, and he wanted to get Kunkel a shot, a game winner, and another game winner in a Big East game. And he had the wherewithal to know that, hey, it's not here. I'm going to kick it out to Paul Scruggs. So it's like he knows how to make the right plays. And that's going to benefit this team greatly, I think. So so while we're on this, this subject here, explain to us how this uh, how this free year – I keep hearing the free year and – but I, I, it still gets me. It still gets me because, like, so if you're a senior and you graduate, you still got to be taking classes at Xavier if you want to come back. Or is there only certain players that get this free year? How does this work? So this is um, all winter student athletes. So it doesn't even apply just to basketball. Because of the pandemic, the NCAA granted this a one year of free eligibility. So it doesn't count against your total. Uh, for your career. So for instance, Xavier has Paul Scruggs, Jason Carter, Brian Griffin, and Nate Johnson are all seniors on the roster this year. They would all technically be eligible to come back next year and play another year. I think I'm not positive on this, but I think you're right. I think they would have to continue to take some sort of a class, even if they've graduated or do something academically uh, to maintain their eligibility. 
um, because you still have to be academically eligible to, to play. But yeah, and, and you know, even furthermore, you think about it like this, with the free year of eligibility, Zach Fremantle is technically a freshman this year, not a sophomore. That's insane. That's, yeah, that right? might be the best thing to come out of this, thinking about now, that. You know, who same, knows? Same with Kiki Tandy, though. Same too. with Kiki, yeah. Now, who knows who's going to take advantage of this and, and you know, how it's going to play out down the road. But, like, you start to think about it like this. I could see a real scenario where guys like Nate Johnson or Brian Griffin – Maybe, maybe they want to come back and play again next year, get another year. Um, I think Paul Scruggs is probably not going to be a guy who, who takes advantage of it. Um, maybe Jason Carter would. I don't know what his future has in store if he's, you know, trying to go get paid overseas or continue his basketball career in some fashion. But it, it's crazy to think that, you know, everyone on the roster right now, this year does not count against their total eligibility. So – so does that mean that even though we lost Ben Stanley this year to due to ACL, we still could possibly have him for two more years? Correct. Because this is crazy. This I'm learning all because see, look, I don't I don't pay attention to all this stuff. <laughs> well, this Ben's, you know, Ben's case is unique on multiple levels because not only was this a free year for him when he became eligible, but because of the fact that now he's injured, it wouldn't count against him, you know, anyway. regardless. So um, he was still, it, my understanding is he's still going to have two years of eligibility left going forward if he chooses to use them both. So what does this do to recruiting? Because you're planning on four or five guys leaving your program next year. Who knows? Possibly others. I mean, you got guys like Deontay Miles that aren't, aren't seeing, you know, any time at all. You got, you got tons of guys like that. Uh, what's his name? Ramsey. I don't even yeah. know if he, if he even shows up to games anymore, but you know, we've got some big guys that don't really play. They could leave. Anybody could leave the transfer portal. You never know how that's going to go, but how's that going to affect all these recruits? You're still recruiting senior seniors in high school to come play for you next year. You only got yeah. so many roster spots. It's, it's going to be um, a little bit of the wild, wild West, because even on top of that, the NCAA is going to, approve the this one-time transfer rule so I don't know if you've heard about this or if you've you've seen this circulating but basically um you know under normal circumstances when, when you transfer you have to apply for a waiver to earn immediate eligibility well they've essentially they're gonna do away with that and make a one-time transfer rule where you don't have to sit out you can just jump from one program to the next and get plugged right in without having to wait. So that's coming in the pipeline too. All these things are going to complicate things immensely. And I, you know, the recruiting thing, I think it's going to be a wait and see because you're going to have guys, high school guys who are being recruited by a program who aren't going to commit because they want to see what happens with the roster. Like if you're a guard and and Xavier's recruiting you Did I? and you're going to want to see, Hey, is Paul Scruggs coming back? Who who else has taken advantage of this extra year of eligibility? Am I going to slide into a situation where I have to sit and wait a year or so I think what it's going to do is it's going to delay a lot of decisions. Um, but furthermore, like the NCAA is also going to extend uh, a scholarship relief. So, 
ordinarily you get 13 scholarships to play with. Well, because of this, you're going to be able to surpass that 13 number based on how many guys take advantage of this extra year of eligibility. So you're going to have some more scholarships if guys do choose to take advantage of it. Um, but yeah, there's going to be transfers. There's going to be like, it's going to be crazy, man. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it's all navigated and played out. It's going to be, be like, sorry, that's going to be like NBA free agency. Like there's exactly. going to be people that get hung out to dry because like teams or play or high school players, like you were saying, because you have to wait and see until wait until those guys make a decision and you might, it might be too late to, to grab a recruit. If, you know, if whoever has an opportunity to come back, that wouldn't normally, if they want to come back, you're, you're not going to say, sorry, you're out of here. Cause I'm bringing in this freshman probably. It, it also makes it complicated because when these coaches go out and recruit and they sit down with these kids and their families, a popular topic of conversation is, Hey, what's the playing time going to look like? Mm -hmm. Because of this, they're not going to have great answers to that question because they don't know what the roster is going to look like, depending on, Hey, this guy's going to take an extra year or, you know, that like there are just unanswered questions that they're not going to, that they're going to have to deal with. So it's going to be, it's going to add a wrinkle to answer your question. <laughs> is the yeah. waiver th or I'm sorry, is the transfer thing, is that just for like this year, like between these next two seasons, or is that as long as guys are in school? That is, so it's going to be a one time only. So like, for instance, we're, we're talking hypothetical here. You mentioned Deontay Miles or Daniel Ramsey. I don't know that, that either one of them want to transfer, but let's just say Deontay wanted to transfer. Well, if he transfers from Xavier to another place, he takes advantage of that one-time transfer rule and he doesn't have to sit out. If he wants to transfer again, then he has to sit out. But this is going forward like legislation in the NCAA bylaws. So it's not like a one or two year deal. It, this is going to be the standard going forward for forever, unless they overturn it or they change it. Um, to be honest, it's it really is a good rule. I mean, I, I have heard them. I've had heard some things about this uh, over the last little while, but they it's it's a good rule. Some of these kids, you kind of feel bad for them in some cases, especially like you see guys like Ben Stanley and Adam Kunkel who are sitting out, you know, in, in the NCAA is making a decision on if you're going to be allowed to play. They don't really know who you are or what's going on anyway. And, and you're waiting to get an opportunity. You have an opportunity and you have to wait for something like that. I think it's good for some of these kids. It's going to be tough, but the amount of money these kids make and aren't making, they I I totally like I kind of like them having a little bit of power. I do too. And I you know, the one like to play devil's advocate, I think it it may be not a death sentence, but it's going to negatively impact those mid-majors because I think what's going to happen is every year you know, the best mid-major players are just going to get poached. They're just going to, hey, I had a great year. I'm going to go to this program. And to an extent, that sort that sort of already happens. But I think that now that it's like guys don't have to file for a waiver to go play somewhere else, I think it's just going to make it easier for those guys to hit the road and say, you know what? So I think, I think you know, the mid-major coaches are probably – they have a different perspective on this whole thing. But I agree with you. Like, if you're a young man or a young woman, 
and you know you're playing at a program and it doesn't work out and you want to change a scenery or you want a new opportunity like you shouldn't have to get approval from the NCAA to to go do what you want to do like it I agree with you in that sense completely it's uh it, it's too bad UC is going to start losing a lot of their better players here as a mid-major it's a tough for coach Brandon I feel bad <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if anybody transferred from Xavier to UC or or the other way around? Uh, you know, I've I've got friends who are diehard UC fans who uh, who text me all the time about, hey, is Kiki transferring because <laughs> UC wants him or UC fans at least want him. So um, it would be it would be a wild dynamic if if that played out. That would be something different. I who boy feel bad for that kid I would feel bad for that kid I, I don't have a problem with it if one of our guys leaves the UC I don't know why you want to leave to go to a worse team and if we're picking somebody up from UC well then obviously it was the best player on their team probably and they, <laughs> so I have no problem with it but I feel bad for the kid because there's going to be a lot of kids in, I mean those schools are just a couple miles apart those parties yeah, that, are, are uh, attended by both it would be a tough scene you know <laughs> oh lordy all right uh on, on that note, well, not on that note, but on a different note, I want to talk about this kid, Colby Jones. All right. So now that I realize that he's still going to be a freshman next year, which is that's just going to be insane because he he already seems like he's playing like a junior. You know what I mean? He doesn't make he, he makes some some mistakes, but he's he he is uh, what's the like silky smooth. I want to call it that kid yeah. is he is going to be a star on this team. Is this a kid that could leave in a couple years to try to go make money somewhere? Or is he somebody that you see sticking around here for a while? I see him sticking around. And one of the things that I learned about him recently, I, I wrote a story about him um, not too long ago. Actually, it's kind of, it's kind of funny that it played out this way, but like my story went up the a few days before he hit the game winner against Providence um, it was after he had his career high against St. John's but like I didn't know how important academics were to him you know a lot of times these high profile basketball guys come in and you just assume that that they're here to play basketball but like when, when I talked to Travis Steele about him like the academic piece was super important to him. Like he wanted to go somewhere that had good basketball and good academics. And that's ultimately one of the reasons why you pick Xavier. So you hear that. And obviously, you know, things can change. The, these kids are young. And, you know, I remember when I was that age and like my mind changed all the time, but <laughs> I, I see him more as a four-year guy, as a guy who, who wants to get his degree. Um, so because of that, I'd be inclined to think he's going to be around for the long haul, but I couldn't agree more with you about him, man. Like you watch him play and he, you know, I think back to last year, uh, you know, sometimes you'd watch Fremantle and you'd watch Kiki and it'd be like, man, they look like freshmen a lot of times. Like I haven't gotten that feeling from Colby Jones. Like you said, he's made some mistakes and, but for the most part, dude, like, he does not play or look like a freshman out there. He looks like he belongs already. He looks comfortable. And you said silky smooth, like the, the coaching staff calls him the smooth operator. So like you're right on the money with that reference. He's a, uh, that kid is, he's going to be a ton of fun. My son, he's already my son, uh, Paul Scruggs, 
it was it was Tyreek Jones, and then it was now it's then it was Paul Scruggs, but he's he's starting to talk about Kobe Jones a little bit every time we every time we get to see him. So he's gonna be a lot of little kids' favorite players. There's no doubt about it. I when he hit that shot, when he hit that shot, and you find out what happened with his with his grandpa and all this stuff like that. I'm gonna tell you right now, like Coach Hills right now. I had I'll be the first one to tell you, I had a little tear in my eye, man. That thing was that was a special moment for a special kid and it's uh he's gonna be he's gonna be special for this program. Yeah, man. Um, couldn't agree more. And that was one of those things where like none of us knew that had happened or that's what he was going through. It was a situation where um, you watched him hit that shot and run down to the other end of the court. And I was honestly, I was sitting in a little room in Centos. It's where I do our post-game Zoom interviews, so it's quiet and I can hear everything. And I saw the clip on Twitter of him of his game winner. And it looked to me like he got emotional after he hit it. So I asked him that in the post-game press conference. I was like, hey, man, um, you know, it looked like he got emotional after that. And he said that. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, that's terrible. But what a like what a fitting tribute for your grandfather. Like, you know, he'll he'll have that memory for the rest of his life. That's pretty cool. No doubt. No doubt about and, it. And what a great thing for a writer to, to be able to, to go yeah. Story, I right? mean, you know, you don't, you obviously, you, you sympathize with the situation and, you know, you don't want anyone to lose someone they love, but like, in terms of like stories, that's, that's the top of the list, man. Like for him to do that in that situation with everything he went through leading up to that game, like it made for a pretty remarkable story. Definitely. Uh, Zach Fremantle and Jason Carter. So uh, I want to go, I, I just got a couple, I, I could sit here and do this all day because I could I could talk about every single kid on the team. But do you see the free mantle of the first five games, six games, or or do you see now that we're in the Big East, maybe Fremantle, you know, kind of kind of falls not falls off, but I mean he's still going to be he's still going to be good. But he had a couple couple games there, uh, you know, where he wasn't he he was still in the games and he was still doing things without the ball, but he wasn't scoring as much. And even well, the rebounds were still there. But is are we going to see more of that when we get into the Big East? Do you think? I think he. It's so weird because like, you think about the the Oklahoma game and like he started that game seven for seven. He was on fire. He did everything right in that game. And then they get hit with that COVID te- that COVID nineteen test, and they have to pause. And he comes back and Big East play starts. And honestly, I think what happened was I think he pressed a little bit. I think he thought, you know what, like everyone's talking about me. Maybe I've been reading my press clippings a little bit. Um, and he got into Big East play and he's he's hit a little bit of a roadblock here. You know, there's no way around it. You watch him play. You look at the stats recently and he has struggled a little bit. And honestly, I think the biggest thing with him is he's got to get off to a good start. Like a lot of times in these games, he, you know, he misses some shots early. Maybe he gets a a few foul foul calls that that don't go his way. And he gets in his head about it. Like he, he needs to, if he's, if he can find a way to just settle himself down and stay in the game mentally, when he gets off to a bad start, I think that's going to translate to him getting back to himself a little bit because you know, you look at his best performances this year, 
and they've been games where he's gotten off to good starts and he hasn't been able to do that in the big East. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like Travis feels about him. Like he has all these skills. He he's super talented. He still has a long way to go defensively, but he'll be fine. I, I think, um, you know, and maybe this time away from the court has served him well. We'll see. But, yeah, he if this team's going to do anything worthwhile this year, he's a guy that they need desperately. Yeah. I I, I agree with that. Uh, Jason Carter is the best thing that ever happened to him uh, for postponed games. So everybody stops talking about him on Twitter or, or whatever <laughs> Travis was getting all pissed off about. Yeah, man. Um, you know, people have this, like – strange feelings about Jason Carter, man. It's, uh, it's wild to watch it play out on social media the way it does, because, you know, you, you watch him and and most of the time he's, he's kind of easy to miss. I don't know if, if you guys have this, uh, experience when you watch Xavier games, but like a lot of times he doesn't do anything that really jumps out. And I think because of that, when he makes mistakes, they, they really are glaring. It's like, you know, because a a prime example is um, when for the Crosstown shootout this year, Travis Steele told him going into that game, I'm going to put you on Chris Vogt and I don't want Chris Vogt to get a single rebound. And that was Jason Carter's job in that game. And it's like you, you watch him play and you see the things that he can do. And he does the things that like no one else really wants to do. And that's why I think he's such an important player to this team. And, uh, and I don't really understand the hate that he gets because like you need guys like that. If you're, if you know, you guys have both played sports, I'm sure um, you need guys who are willing to like roll up their sleeves and do that. Like the dirty shit that no one else wants to do. Like that's Jason Carter. And, you know, he doesn't have the prettiest game. He's not going to, He's not going to stuff the box score with, with huge numbers, although he has a couple times this year. Um, but he's just, you know, he's just solid, I think. Um, I don't know what your guys' opinions are about him, but. I, I love the kid, right? So I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get on social media. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have, you know, I, I do have Twitter, and I get on there maybe, you know, twice a week and kind of flow through things. But I don't. I don't see everything that was going on when all this happened, but I got a couple text groups during games that I'm back and forth in that we're all watching the game. And there's one guy that just, you know, constantly want to say something about him, but I'll tell you what, he is just like you said, he, he can be passive. He can be too passive sometimes, Yeah. but then he can be too aggressive sometimes too. (laughs) Sudden it's like Travis must tell him, Hey, take it to the basket. Just when you get this is your you're shooting on this like this this play is for you you're shooting and he throws up something goofy and then he'll pass up three wide open threes in a row to try to make you know to get somebody a better shot anyway I like the kid I feel bad for him I hope he I hope he uh, continues to give us ten to twelve rebounds I don't care if he scores well you know one of the weird things maybe it's not weird but you think about it from his perspective he came to Xavier from Ohio university where he was their leading scorer and averaged almost 17 points a game. And now that has to feel so far away for him. Like, uh, you know, that's not who he is anymore at Xavier. So I think part of his issue has been trying to, to adjust to this 
this new role that he's taken on here. Um, and, you know, I think it's probably taken him longer than he would have liked to, to sort of figure it out. But I, I still think he's just he's going to be an important part of what this team is and, and what they can become. Um, yeah, I know. I know he's he can be frustrating at times with some of his mistakes and, and things like that. But it's like every kid yeah. makes mistakes, man. They're, these they're, these they're college kids. Every kids are every kid is out there making mistakes for some reason. Jason yeah. Carter gets blown up for. Yeah, you know what? That's yeah, that's man, why they, they actually they go ahead. They did that on his birthday too. I don't know if you noticed oh. that, but the, the game when when he was getting the most hate, it was like after the game. I think Travis Travis had to remind people. He sent out like a "Hey, happy birthday to Jason," and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just talk about bad timing. Oh man, no, that's that's why a kid like that gets to see the floor because. Like you said, his job and, and really hard for young people to make that adjustment, especially if you were a scorer. And, and most most guys playing at that level were, you know, probably averaging 25 a game in high school. And then they got to come in. I think a lot of kids have that uh, have have to make that adjustment. But like you said, like in the UC game, your job is to make sure Chris Vogt gets zero rebounds. That doesn't mean you have to get 10 or 12 rebounds. That just means he doesn't get any. And And that's like you said – he might not stand out all the time or he might not, you know, you might look at the stat sheet after the game and he plays 25 minutes and, and get, has two, two points and two rebounds. But if he did his job and Chris Vogt got one rebound, then you did your job. And that's, it, it's, that's a, that has a way bigger impact on the game than a lot of people realize. So, uh, but I know that's, you know, really hard for younger people to, to, adjust to and to to understand like okay i i'm not doing anything that looks it doesn't look like i'm doing anything but i know you know and the coaching staff knows when he's doing his job it might not look like he's not giving you 20 points but he's doing he's getting you extra possessions and he's you know doing other little things that you know not everybody pays close attention to yeah. Adam's gonna take Adam's gonna get some Jason Carter video, take it to the Oak Hills JV practice next week. Let's yeah. coach and start playing it now. <laughs> Play like this, guys. No, I think I think he's fourth in the Big East in rebounding right now. So, like, you know, for for as many mistakes and things like that that people like to get on him for, like he does find a way to impact the game. Um, it just not it just might not be like the sexiest, most efficient all the time, but is what it is you need you need guys like that I kind of feel bad for for guys like that because like you said the story about him in the UC game right so if if no we're not none of the nobody's in on these meetings nobody knows what these guys jobs are while they're on the court or what what Travis's his game plan is for any given day and yet he they 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 just feel like it's okay for them to jump on to jump on whatever it is, tweet the tweet box and tell people that, you know, decide that they're, they're a better coach than anybody in the world and that they're going to start messing around with some 20 year old. That's just, dude, this, that's a story for a whole nother world. I hate that more than anything. It's uh, it's just, it's become so easy for people like for people to have a voice and have an opinion and share that with someone when like, you know, I, I don't Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I could talk about this all day. I've, I've recently deleted my Facebook. I, I'm trying, 
very hard to to spend less time on Twitter this year. Um, so, but the yeah, thing that for you though is is that's a big part. Twitter Twitter's big for for yeah. writers and journalists and people like that. In fact, that's the only reason I'm on Twitter is to follow beat reporters and and, and analysts and people like that because they're the people that I actually want to hear from. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're the, I don't think I've ever clicked on the little comment thing underneath somebody's story to even care what every single other person has to say. I didn't yeah, you read don't want this. to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't click on on Adam's tweet or you know on on your tweet to see what what your average Tom Dick and Harry has to say about it. I could care less. I looked at it because I want to know what the heck you had to say about it. So I, it, it makes no sense to me. I, it, Facebook thing, all this stuff makes no sense. Get off of it, everybody else, and let the <laughs> let the professionals take care of it. All right? Yeah, man. I, I wish I didn't have to read that stuff. It's uh, unfortunately, it's it's a part of the job. It's it's one I wish I didn't have to rely on so heavily. But it's like you said, man. I got I got to get people to click on my stories, so I got to be on there. Worst. Worst comment, tweet, tweet thing back at you you've ever had. I mean, if it's and by worst, I mean obviously you would just laugh at it. I feel like you've got a pretty good, pretty good sense of humor about it. You're not taking any yeah. stuff personally. So worst thing somebody's ever said to you on, on the tweet box. Oh, it's uh, it, it's it's a a story. Um, when I was covering high school sports, you know, I this is like you have those moments where it's like there are things we all regret and I put out a tweet about something and uh in in hindsight you know I probably should have thought it through more but like I had a solid source I had multiple sources actually and I put something out there and uh people didn't take too kindly to it and it was like it was the thing where I got beat up like for 10 solid hours, I had people sending me hate. And just like, that's my thing. It's like, I wish that those people didn't have such easy access to get under my skin because it's like, why, why are we in a situation where complete strangers can ruin my day, man? Like, I don't like that aspect of this job at all because it's like, you know, people, if they have something to say, now they have a way to say it. And Honestly, like, just to be frank with you guys, not everyone has earned the right to say stuff to me. Like, just because you have created a Twitter account doesn't mean you've earned the right to, to say dumb shit to me. You know, nobody, no, no, nobody has earned that right. That's the, that's, yeah. the, that's yeah. the whole thing. I don't understand. Who, who are you? to? Uh, never mind. Never mind. Yes. Adam, it's aggravating. But Adam, you know, you gotta, you gotta let your uh, opinion about St. Xavier football go sometimes. Though, all right. <laughs> about that, all right? You know what? No, though, when, you. when you, when you hold records at elder, you know, you feel, you, I feel like you, you probably just feel untouchable and just let yeah. it fall. Nobody, you, when you guys, when you just, your response should always just be when you hold a high school football record at a prominent division one school, then you can, then what do they call it? At me. Then you can at me. Exactly. More importantly, a record that I'm fairly confident no one will ever touch. No chance. <laughs> Those of you that haven't seen Adam on the show before, I'm going to go ahead. I, I'm going to let you tell them your elder high school record. It's probably my favorite stat I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So I, I played fullback at elder. Um, 
my senior year, and granted, this was this was like early 2000s, 2003, 2004, 2005, um, when they used to run a more traditional offense. So the fullback was more of like a glorified offensive lineman. And uh, I finished my senior year with negative rushing, negative receiving yards, and I scored a touchdown. I'm the only person in elder history to do that. So just to give you the details, I had an, a minus four-yard loss against Lakewood St. Ed's on a run. And then against Indianapolis Bishop Chittard, I caught a pass for negative one yard. And then West High, I had a one-yard rushing touchdown. So my career, my final season stats were negative three yards rushing, negative one yard receiving, and one rushing touchdown. That is so classic. I absolutely love that. <laughs> never, to be, never to be duplicated. I blame it on I blame it on uh, I can't who was the quarterback when you were there. So uh, I, I had Craig Carey my junior year and then Kaiser oh. my senior year. Collins, both of those guys. Collins, <laughs> did you say you played basketball with both of those guys? No, I said I blame it on both of those guys, but I did blame play basketball them. against Craig Carey last year. Um, yeah, he played the sports Didn't he play down at Holy Family? He played. He played in the, his. He and his brothers, which that's the most athletic family I've ever seen anywhere. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, they they play they they got a team up at the St. Teresa League, the three on three league that I play at St. Teresa in the summer. Um, nice. They're I, I I can't guard anybody, and it's it's awful, but it's and they're incredible. Anyway, uh, my la- my last uh, Xavier question for you is: so they've missed all this time. Hopefully, they'll get to play this game against Butler, but now they're. They've got – I can't remember. You mentioned it in your last article um, a few days ago. Is it like 40-something days and they've got to play – it would be like two points – I think I wrote it down, actually. Like, they have to play a game like every 2.7 days or something like that to get them all yep. in, right, and yeah. to make it – including making the ones up that they missed. Correct. So, following – redone? Well, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I mean, that's probably not – realistic right before they get to the Big East tournament. So they're going to have to go without some games, right? I mean, do you, do you have Correct. any idea what the plan's going to be going for the, for the rest of this regular season? Yeah, I know from talking to people at the Big East, I know that they are still looking at potential openings in the schedule. And part of the problem with the, the amount of games that they have to play and the amount of time left that they have to get them in is – to make up some of these games, like other Big East teams are going to have to get unlucky, basically. You know, Butler had a false positive test last week. Had it not been a false positive, had it been a full-blown shutdown for the Bulldogs, like that would have been a situation where Butler's next upcoming opponents would have been able to get rescheduled and play against Xavier. So it's like they're going to – after Friday – they're going to have 14 Big East games left and 39 days to play them in. That's not going to happen. And, you know, you take into consideration the fact that they would have to avoid another shutdown themselves, Xavier, and their opponents would have to avoid shutdowns. So I think realistically, like, I'm thinking maybe eight more games. Like the, they'll be lucky if they can get to 20 games in a regular season. So and if you read my last article, like 
what that does is it creates a lot of pressure on those next eight games because when you're fortunate enough to get on a floor and play a game, like you need to take care of business and win it because you don't have many opportunities left to, to prove that you're an NCAA tournament team. It's just, to me, it makes, it makes the next month and a half just pressure packed already. I mean, would it make sense to play as many games as you can until like a week or two, maybe like two weeks before the Big East tournament's supposed to start? Shut everybody down, make everybody quarantine so you can make sure that everybody's going into that Big East tournament healthy. Like maybe just cancel the last week or, or three games or something like that so everybody can just kind of make sure they're good entering the Big East tournament because that's that's the even bigger thing, right? And then go use the seating by however many games everybody got in. It's just it is you know whatever. If you if you played five Big East games, tough. You know that's that's where you are. But um, I don't know. It, it just seems like and, and not not just the Big East. It kind of seems like everybody might think about doing something like that because it's going to be a bigger deal when you you know if tournament if uh, conference tournaments get shut down because of the whole thing, then you're talking about how are you going to determine who gets into the NCAA tournament and all that kind of stuff? Well, I don't know exactly how they're going to approach it. I think that they are going to have to do something along that, along those lines, because even if you draw it out past that, so let's say that, that they are able to play the big East tournament at Madison square garden. And, you know, it all goes off without a hitch. Well, if you make the NCAA tournament, your team and your coaches and, and your whole tier one group, your travel group, they have to test negative seven days in a row to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. I've even seen people sort of hypothesizing that maybe it, it's not even the smartest thing to play the conference tournament because you run the risk of maybe one of your NCAA, one of the Big East teams that's a surefire lock for the NCAA tournament, maybe they go play at Madison Square Garden and maybe they run into a few positive tests and that takes them out of the NCAA. Like, it's just to me, I'm having a hard time with this myself, even thinking about it, because let's say you get into the NCAA tournament and you pass those seven tests. What happens if you have a positive during the tournament? Like, I just listened to an interview with uh, Jeff Goodman had, um, what's his name? Dan Gavitt, the uh, NCAA senior vice president yeah. for men's basketball. And he was basically, they asked him this question and he was like, well, we're not going to pause the tournament if a team or a star player tests positive. Mm -hmm. So when you hear that, it just, to me, it's like, this is, it's crazy right now, but the next two months are going to be crazier. Yeah. You ain't getting there, man. To think about, to think about like, a, uh, I don't know, I, I would say one of the, one of the blue bloods, but none of them seem to be able to win a game anymore. Yeah. They so, won't be there this year. yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, take whoever, uh, whoever you want a top 10 team and take Villanova and all of a sudden they go down and they're number one seed and, and something happens, you know, in the big East tournament, they would have been a number yeah. one seed, and now all of a sudden they can't even play. Now you got another six, uh, fifteen or sixteen seed going through. I mean, this is this is going to be the craziest. This is going to be the craziest year for college basketball conference tournaments I've ever seen in my life. 
Ever. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be wild, man. I'm, uh, I'm like, I'm holding my breath a little bit because the way that this has been going so far, um, it's just hard to imagine that, that, that there's going to be a finished product at the end of all this. Like I'm hopeful that there will be, but I'm also like very skeptical that this is, it's going to work out the way that they hope that it will. Um, you know, I'm working on like a, a big story about this season and just like how crazy it is from all these different avenues and all these different angles and like all the things that all these programs have to worry about. And it's going to be probably the most memorable season in the history of college basketball because of all this. And, you know, I'm, ho I hope that it, that, that we can have an NCAA tournament and that a team gets crowned national champion. But like part of me is skeptical, man. And, you know, we're going to. It's a lot, it's a lot like, you know, you see the NBA, right? They did the bubble. It worked. Yeah. Major league baseball. Nobody thought that was going to make it, but it did. They, they got to the end. They got the World Series in. Over. The NFL, I mean, it's not 100% for sure in two weeks the Super Bowl will be going, but at this point in time, nobody really thought that that was, you know, in the beginning it was skepticism with that. Yep. The only thing that worries me is this is not a, a professional league. I mean, it is technically, I guess, if you really think about it the way these kids are. But, I mean, it's not a professional league that has that backing. There's, there's a lot of teams involved in this. 68. Exactly. There's a lot of teams that would be involved in this as opposed to, you know, the 20 or whatever they took to the bubble and playing, you know, 30 in, in baseball and football. So that is what makes me think this is going to be. And even the referees. Like, yeah, like the referees can and, and mess this all up. Like <laughs> so many variables, man. It's, uh, if it goes to the national championship game and some referee that did one of the, did one of the final four games gets it and that team can't play and they crown somebody the national champion because that team couldn't play that he, he, he better go into hiding. He better yeah, just never, don't come he, to go to Aruba, live on a boat. Don't ever come out. <laughs> Delete your social media, man. Strike <laughs> <laughs> all over again. Unless it's Xavier, that's the one that gets crowned national champion because of that. Then totally fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll give him a pass then. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. All right, Adam, man, we've taken we've taken up way way more time than than I had wanted to with you. I feel bad. I know it's late at night. I could do this for another hour, and I could. I, I don't want to do that to you. I'm sure you got stuff to do tomorrow. You got the. We'll, we'll have another episode. That's what we'll do. That, yeah. that sounds good. We'll, we'll come back in a couple months. I like it. I like that. That sounds good. Maybe, maybe right before the tournament, or uh, after somewhere, somewhere around the tournament time, we'll we'll try to try to lock you down for another show. I like that, man. I always like talking to you guys. So I appreciate you having me on, as always. Heck yeah, man. We really appreciate it as well. Hey, oh, one more thing before you go. So yeah. thing on the podcast for us to do every week, we do a Mount Rushmore. All right. This week is best baseball movies of all time. Give me four. Give me your four best baseball movies. All right. Bull Durham. Um, I mean, like. Three on the spot. 
it's going to be no it's going to be weird because like i feel like kevin costner's going to be in a couple of them like uh he's in every baseball movie he is uh you know i love uh for love of the game but i don't think i can put that on mount rushmore um what did i say uh i i love rookie of the year man like uh garden hoser garden hoser you're in <laughs> So what do we got? We got Bull Durham. We got Field of Dreams. We got Rookie of the Year. Um, I guess I, I guess maybe I will throw for love of the game. Or no, hang on. That's my thinking face too. That's how I think too. <laughs> no, there's a. Uh, What's the name of it? It's got Robert Redford. Is it Eight Men Out? The Natural. Oh, no. no. The, natural. the Natural. The Natural. I love The Natural. Yes. I'll go with The Natural. For Love of the Game is a great movie, but it's also like it's a little too much of a love story for me. So I, I got to tell you, for doing that on the spot, he's he's got half of my – he's got half of my uh, – my You guys have your own? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, 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 that's, that's what we do. At, uh, the next thing after, after you get off that we go through and we do our Mount Rushmore. If, oh, I, so okay. I don't business. get to hear yours. Yeah. That's why I just go ahead. Adam, tell them what yours is. We'll skip. Uh, we'll do it real quick. We'll do it real quick. All right. So my number one is the natural field of dreams, bull Durham. And then I have all these movies listed and I got to choose the last one. Cause I was undecided. <laughs> I'm going to say that is, that is, that's Adam move. <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't know. I've got Pride of the Yankees. I got Major League, The Rookie. I love that movie. Oh, um, Major League could have easily been on mine too. He's good. I, I like the Jackie Robinson story, like the first one when he was when he played himself. Uh, Moneyball, I really liked. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say. So yeah, I, I'm gonna say my fourth one is gonna be. I'm gonna say the Rookie. The Rookie. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm taking that. I, I love the rookie. And you know, you got the, the crazy thing about this is as I started looking at this, there's there's like 50 baseball movies out there. And all of them are pretty good. Now, some of them got spun off a little too far, right? Like you got Major yeah. League went a little too far. Uh, <laughs> Angels in the outfield. There's been like apparently there's been like four of them now. The one <laughs> with Ted, the one with Ted Danza, that was or Tony Danza, that was that was great growing up. Rookie of the Year, like you said, one of my all-time favorites. I watched the hell out of that VHS. I can't I believe it. I can't believe that I forgot the Sandlot, dude. Like this. Oh yeah. Sandlot could. That's on yours. Oh, I stole. Absolutely. Yours. Sandlot <laughs> number two on mine. That is the number two greatest baseball movie ever. Number one is Field of Dreams. That's my all-time favorite movie ever. So Field of Dreams number one. Uh, uh, Sandlot's number two, Bull Durham's number three, and then I have a little. I go, I got, I did the same thing Adam did. I had a little list of some. So, you guys probably neither of you have ever seen it. The one that I ended up going with, um, well, there's two. Of, uh, all right, so <laughs> I didn't go with this one, but this you is one have, of my you shouldn't have held on for this, Adam. Damn, <laughs> Yankees. damn Yankees. I don't know if you ever get a chance oh, to go yeah. back. 1958 uh it's like a musical it's the only musical i've ever watched multiple times 
or even maybe the only musical I've ever watched. Damn Yankees. Awesome movie. Um, <laughs> the Pride of the Yankees oh. is the one that I'm going with, though, because Lou Gehrig is my all-time favorite baseball player. And the Pride of the Yankees is one of the best uh, bio, bio, bio stories, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Babe Ruth plays himself. It's fucking oh, that's yeah. great. Great, I love that's that. That's so, cool. Yeah. So those are going to be my four. But Sandlot, you got to have Sandlot on there. I Rookie forgot about Sandlot. I know. I immediately Sandlot. like is is Adam was rat- rattling his off. I was like Sandlot. How did I forget Sandlot, dude? No, but that, that's cool. Um, next time I come on, you'll you'll have to. I'll hit you up beforehand. Well, I guess I, I kind of do like the putting putting me on the spot, but like if you gave me some time to think about that, I could have I could have probably pulled out a, a diamond in the rough, you know. <laughs> Adam, I don't know if you're like me and you you have time to you have like a whole week to think about it. You spend way too much time. <laughs> you're looking up all kinds of stupid stuff that you're. It's like, I, I just overthink everything. So I don't want to put you in that position, but we will let you know ahead of time what our uh, topic is going to be that week. Have you ever seen The Scout? Yes. Yeah. Awesome baseball movie. And then it is. Uh, Brewster's Millions. I consider that a baseball movie. Oh, yeah, I would, too. Yeah. So those those were two ones that I had that I had down that I absolutely love that cracked me up when I watch them. Yeah, that's a that's a cool category. That's like baseball movies is. It's probably the hardest sports category to narrow down into four, I think. Yeah, because baseball movies are the best sports movies. I, I feel are. like. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. I appreciate you sticking around for the for uh, one more part, brother. That was That's awesome, dude. It was fun. Thank awesome. you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I'll let you know next time. So you be ready. You be ready for it. And, uh, and I'll be watching more elder football games to see if we get any fullbacks with negative yards. Oh, yeah. They better not. Are, are you? May, you might be the last fullback ever at Outer End. They don't. They don't use them anymore. I know. I know. It's a. It's a, a true dying breed for the Panthers. It's a little sad, but you know, I think. I think Doug had to evolve the offense with the times. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did it right. He he started. He, he started to do it right when his boy was there, and now his boys. Now his boys uh, giving it a go for the for the old NFL. So good for him. Wow. Yep. Good for him. All right, fellas. Good. We'll talk to you later, Adam. Thanks Take a lot. Take care. You guys have a good night. You too. You too. Adam Baum, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what, I could sit and talk to that guy for hours. Yeah. Yep. He's fun to talk to. He, uh, I hope Bobby Nightingale listened to that because uh, since you said that Adam Baum was uh, your by far your favorite uh, beat reporter from the Inquirer. Hey, listen, listen. <laughs> I love Bobby. <laughs> I love Bobby, but he's a close second. It is what I tell him to his face. Uh, I'm not not pulling punches here. It's about Xavier. It's not about Bobby or Adam. It's about Xavier basketball. It's about Xavier basketball. That's what it's about. And there's like 500 Reds beat writers. So I can't, you know, he's my favorite of the Reds beat writers. For sure. By far. Yeah. But it's close seconds. Adam, the other thing that tips him up, you know, being an elder grad kind of. That helps. Up there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's so, fun, to, fun anyway. to talk. Fun to talk elder sports and uh, Xavier basketball and baseball movies with Adam Baum. So we thank him for joining us. I, I think we we already gave our Mount Rushmores. You want to dive a little bit further into it, or you want to just move right on, or what? 
I, I, I think we, I think we've done it. I say we just move on and, and get into something else. Cause, cause uh, we're pushing some time here. So let's, yep. let's, uh, let's push it. Since we did the baseball movies, mm-hmm. uh, I'd be remiss. We would be remiss not to, not to say something about uh, who I believe is probably the greatest baseball player to ever play the game. Hank Aaron passes away. It's been 2020 was a horrible year for famous base for, for, you know, baseball players dying hundreds. It felt like a hundred baseball players died in 2020. Every week somebody was dying. Carlton, did I kill Steve Carlton again? Who? <laughs> Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver. I just did it again, didn't I? Man, I have killed Steve Carlton on this podcast like 10 times. Sorry, Steve. We appreciate you listening, of course. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm going to hear about that from him in the morning. Anyway, um, you know, Tom Seaver, Joe Morgan, uh, Bob Gibson, the dearly departed of this section of this podcast has gone on for a while. So that, uh, and now 2021, which I, I refuse to call it 2021 yet. We're still in 2020 and, uh, probably the biggest, the biggest name. If you look at the biggest name in baseball, right. You have, obviously you have Babe Ruth, um, who was a phenom in his time. You have Jackie Robinson just for what he did for the game. And the fact that he was a phenom as well. Great, yeah. But if you go back, if you go and look, I mean, Hank Aaron held the home run record for 30 years. Mm-hmm. He, or 31, I think it was, whatever it was. And he lost it to a guy, to, to people on do, using steroids, right? It was all, you know, steroid guy comes in and, and, and beats him. So that being said, that being said, I it, it sucks to have to say Bonds is the home run king. To me, it will forever be Hank Aaron until somebody really does beat him. Maybe I feel that way. Maybe I don't. I don't. Maybe I shouldn't say that right off the bat because uh, that could go into our next conversation. But I just it's he's more, he was more than a home run hitter. He never hit forty home runs in a season. Which is unbelievable to to have hit as many as he did, to play as long as he did, and be as consistent as he was throughout. He was a he was, he was a career like three twenty hitter or something. Do you have that? He he hit uh, no, but I think I, you're right. Yeah. I figured you would have. I figured you would have wrote all that down. Um, so that and and he all time leader in total bases when he, if I'm not mistaken, when he retired. He was the all-time leader in total bases. And he had like three times the total bases as second place. Or it was at least double. And you think about that because he also led the – he also, when he retired, led the uh, – had the most doubles of all time. And RBIs. And every every difficult stat you can imagine. And he won a couple of gold gloves. And he had a phenomenal arm. The things that man did consistently year in, year out for 19, 20 years is amazing. He's, he, he, if you look at his numbers, there are only two, maybe two players that could compare all around numbers wise, maybe Willie Mays and Babe Ruth when it comes to numbers. Outside of those guys, there is no one 
that there's nobody that has these kind of numbers all around, not just home runs and walks or something like that, but everything. So it was a tough, it was a tough, tough couple of days for me. I sat on the couch, a uh, few tears might, may or may not have fell out is what it is. Um, I could not stop watching things on him. He was to hear how he was with incoming players. They say he was always, he was so great with, with new players just in the league in general not just on the Braves, but in the league would take players under his wing, especially black players, obviously, because that was a big part of, of his, you know, he, it was still early on in the, in the era of, of black players being able to even be in major league baseball, but, but it wasn't just them. It was all players. Like you hear all, all players saying how great he was to him when they came in. And the fact that he came in and when he was in, when he was when he when he came in and played played minor league baseball for the Indianapolis Clowns or whatever they were or the Wisconsin Clowns I don't know what they were he was hitting with his hands the wrong way he never played a baseball game until he got to the minors like he never played a baseball game in high school he never played a baseball a real baseball game he just played sandlot ball and unbelievable it's 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 unbelievable yeah I don't even think I'm pretty sure I read that he didn't even finish high school. Um, no. left high school and that's why he didn't play. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible that he, he became one. And I, you said it in the beginning, I no argument from me. If you want to say that he's the greatest player ever, I, I can't, I can't give you anything why you wouldn't be. Um, and, and you're right. So he, he, all the numbers, the total bases, the RBIs, uh, you know, second all time in home runs only to Josh Gibson, uh, no, uh, number three, <laughs> Number three in hits, um, all time. Think my, about that. That's think my favorite. That. I think you're gonna say the same thing. My my favorite stat from seeing all this stuff is if Hank Aaron hit zero home, he was the home run champion for a long time. If he hit zero home runs in his career, he still would have had three thousand hits. That's my. That's it's like my favorite thing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Most this- known. Most known for being a home run hitter but he was a 3000 hit guy with no home runs. The crazy thing is he's most known for that number. Seven, seven was it? 744 or whatever, 745, whatever that number was, or when he broke, when he broke Bay Ruth's Bay Ruth's 714 and he hit 715, he's most known for those numbers, right? You think of Hank Aaron, you think of those 700 numbers. From what I understand, when like players that played with him while he was playing things like that, no one thought of him as like a hundred percent power guy. That wasn't, that wasn't who Hank Aaron was. Hank Aaron was just the guy who's going to, he was, he was Mike Trout. He was a guy that, you know, yeah, he might lead the league in, in home runs or be in the top five in home runs, but I'm more scared of if he gets on base, I, I'm, I just want to try to get him out. I don't, I mean, he's going to hit, he's going to hit a home run here and there, but I just want to get him out. Uh, I don't want to give up a double or anything. And that's what he did. Like you said, 3,000 hits, even if you took every home run away. The guy, uh, third, would you say third all-time in hits? Third. Third. Pete Rose, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron. That's it. You give me another home run hitter. You give me another home run hitter who Pete Rose, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron. You just said that. Mm -hmm. Think about those three. 
Pete Rose, Slappy Jawea, Mr. Mr. Slap it wherever he can find a ball to get through. Ty hit Cobb. Like, hit like 10 career home runs, Pete Rose did. <laughs> yeah. Ty Cobb, notorious, notoriously the most scrappiest player to ever play the game. Well, him and Pete Rose both. Mm-hmm. And who's third on that list? The home run leader. That's right. A, a guy who hits bombs. I'm telling you, he wasn't thought of as, I mean, at the end of his career, he broke the record, right? Now, he also played for 20 years, but he continued to hit 35, 30 home runs every year. That's them. He never hit 40 home runs ever in his career. There's no power hitter that goes into the Hall of Fame as a power hitter that never hit 40 home runs. And that, that never happened. I, I can't even tell you, when you look at Hank Aaron's numbers, he might be the most underrated baseball player to ever live. I agree with you. It's really just in the last, somewhere in the last five to 10 years that I really started like diving into more stuff about Hank Aaron and realizing, oh my gosh, this guy's probably, this guy really probably is the best player ever or, or very well might be or should be talked about in the top two or three, probably, you know, people say Willie Mays, people say Babe Ruth, but Hank Aaron is, is every bit as good or better than both of those guys. And uh, like you said, he had a couple and he played, I, I think it was 21 or 22 seasons because I th- I'm pretty sure I saw that he was like a 21 time all-star or something. And that's yep. the biggest thing is, and, and some people even argue like, well, he's not that great. Cause people used to make the same argument for Pete Rose as the hit King. Like, well, he, oh, he played 23 years or whatever. That's the reason he's the hit king. That's the reason he has the most hits. No, that's the most impressive part about it. You have to be great for that long. Exactly. You, you I hate that's the worst argument anyone could make. The fact that I can play in Major League Baseball for 21 years already puts me as one of the greatest players ever. And then to be one of the best in the league every one of those years because you have to be to, to collect those numbers. If you play, you can play 25 years and, you know, not reach 3000 hits or 3000 strikeouts or whatever you can do. A lot of guys play a long time and, and, you know, aren't in the hall of fame, but to be that great, that long every year, be an all-star every year, or every year, but one or whatever. And you play that. Year, the only year he didn't was his rookie year. And they say, so back, th- back in those days, there was, there was two, uh, all-star games in a season before in the middle of the season and after the season, I want to say. And like, they say that Hank Aaron probably played in 25 all-star games. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's so crazy. And, and, you know, and we, we've been talking about the, how great he was and his numbers and everything, but you talk, and, and by the way, you were talking about what came to my mind when you were talking about how he never hit 40 home runs, but he was the hit the, the home run King for a long time. One of the biggest things that people, especially his peers, when you see old interviews from those guys that saw him play every day, was they talked about how fat, how quick his wrists were, and that's what and and that might be the same thing with Trout too. Like those guys are just really good hitters, and their wrists are so quick that they get the their bat speed going around. Is, is you're going to collect home runs just from that, just from hitting the ball hard all the time. And uh, so, so that, that came to my mind when you were talking about that. But the thing that I really wanted to get to was it's, and, and we've said this for a few people in the last couple of years that have died and stuff, but nobody and you go to Twitter and, and look at all the guy, the current guys and former guys that played baseball that 
talked about him and how much he meant to them individually and to the game. I mean, there are guys, uh, who was it? Um, guy that played for the Reds uh, for a couple years, hardly got any time. Then he went to just went to the Mariners last year. His name's escaping me, but um, he, you know, he's like a fringe major league baseball player, but he posted a picture of him sitting down in a chair right next to Hank Aaron and them having a conversation in the last year or something like that. Like this is a guy that's not a star and Hank Aaron took time to sit there and talk baseball with him or whatever before a game or after a game or something like that. And that's the thing is, is people talk about how great a guy he was and, and to, to go through, everybody knows if you're a baseball fan, you know, the story about when he was chasing uh, Babe Ruth, all that time, the, the stuff that de- he got death threats and, and, you know, um, I think he had, he have a cross burnt on his front lawn or something by the KKK or something. There are stories, there are stories about that, that people, uh, you know, threatened him and, and all kinds of stuff, got all kinds of really nasty mail because he was black and he was going to break a, a white man's record. And this was 1974 or whatever. And, and it was still, which is not <laughs> that long ago, but um, still it, it's uh, the stuff that he dealt with going through that what what should have been like the best thing in his life ever was one of the most difficult things in his life I think because he was dealing with that and there was so much pressure and so much you know just stuff on his mind every day he was getting 300 or more death threats a day the week coming up going into the week going into his him breaking this record 300 letters a day he still has them well i guess technically he doesn't have any more but he hit he kept them forever and there's pictures of him as an old man holding letters in front of a box and it was it was it, he he held that that it it meant something to him uh it was it was not easy and it and and you know you hear stuff like that and with Jackie Robinson and with, and with him and different stuff like that. And I could never imagine, uh, could never, I mean, the, not even fathom how strong, per, how strong willed these, these guys were and classy in the character of these guys to be able to get through that and still perform on an everyday basis. And that's, that's exactly um, why I brought that up. Yeah. To, to talk, to say like his, the biggest thing people talk about is his character. Like he he's, he's maybe the best player ever. And people talk just as much about his character as, as his accomplishments on the field. And, uh, and I, I, I watched, you know, I, I like you, I was watching a whole bunch of stuff and um, he did. Uh, I, I don't know what year it was from. It was probably sometime in the last 10 years or so. Um, it was an interview they did at some, they set some kind of special thing up at the LBJ library at the university of Texas. It was a nice, real nice thing. And there was like a studio audience and stuff. And, uh, somebody was interviewing him just, you know, 30, 45 minutes, something like that. And they just talked about his career and baseball and all that kind of stuff. And he was just, and this is every interview really I've ever seen of him just seemed like such an, such a jovial, upbeat, positive guy, like constantly smiling, just seemed like so friendly and happy all the time. And, and I mean, he had a lot of reasons not to be, you know, I, I mean, in, later in his life, I'm sure he, he did great and all that kind of stuff, but, um, and he's very celebrated and all that, but, but to go through what he went through 
when he broke the record and, and leading up to that. And I'm sure even for a while after that, um, it, it just, you know, says a lot about the guy he was. And, and, you know, like I said, just, just look at everything, everybody posted all current and former major league guys and, and people who, uh, who were around baseball and around him in any capacity, just talk about how, how great of a guy he was. And, and that was the biggest thing. If you ever get a chance to watch the call of his 715th home run, um, from the Dodger side, Vin Scully, right? Vin Scully's call of the home run. Yeah. As his teammates are are ha- holding him, and and he's and the crowd's going bananas. Vin Scully makes the call. I can't. I'm, I'm not going to quote it, but it was because I can't remember the exact words. But it 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 makes you f- you all the stuff that this guy was going through. And Vin Scully says, uh, you know, a black man has broken the record or whatever it was. And, and he's being cheered in the deep South. And it was, it was just like, man, the fact that that is one of the points that get brought up, but it was true. It was true. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just to this day, it's, it's, I feel so bad because those to, to be able to, as a baseball fan and a guy who just wanted to play baseball his whole life, I dreamed of the day that you you hit 3,000 hits, that you get your 500th home run, and this the, you know, we to, to be jogging around the bases or be like Wade Boggs and have 3,000 and 500 on the same, or no, not 500 on the same, but 3,000 your 3,000 hit be a home run, so you can jog around the base, you, all that kind of stuff, and just to feel that joy, leading up to it when it happens. That dude didn't really get. I mean, he got to, I realized he got to, but not like, uh, not like, not like me or you, mm. he had to go, he, he had to hold on to a lot while going through it. Can you imagine just, can you imagine going to the ballpark in an incredibly open public place with thousands and thousands of people around you, like five minutes after reading a letter that somebody's going to kill you? Yep. You know what I mean? I'm going to let your throat. I'm going to do this to your parents or to your, into your, into your family. And uh, like, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no way, dude. I'd be freaking out. I'd have security. My, <laughs> my kids and everybody would be locked in a bunker. Like I, I I'm thinking, yeah, I, I'm thinking they didn't have to walk. They didn't have the fans walk through metal detectors uh, when they went to the ballpark back then. So, I mean, I feel like anybody probably, and I, th- I think people probably carried guns regularly back then anyway, a lot more than they do now. Cause they're, you know, the laws are, are, uh, seems maybe more stringent now, but, um, just to think like anybody can just from anywhere in the ballpark or even outside some of those ballparks, you had spaces where you could go watch the game from outside the ballpark. I mean, anybody could have had a gun and shot me while I was on the field at any moment because they didn't want me to, to do that. I mean, all those people that wanted him dead or didn't want him to break that record, I, I, don't, I don't know that I would have had the – I'm sure I probably would not have had the courage to go out there and play every day. I would, I would be like, it just isn't worth it. If it's going to be my life because of this, just not worth it. But he was like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm a baseball player. I'm just doing it. Unbelievable. You'd be hard pressed to find an argument to tell me that somebody was a better all around baseball player than Hank Aaron. 
If you want to say somebody was the greatest player, there's only there's only a couple you could make the argument with me on, but I'm pretty sure that I got more evidence towards Hank Aaron than anybody else out there. And Willie Mays was, by the way, Willie Mays' numbers are, I mean, he's like one notch under Hank Aaron in everything or one notch just above. Like they, you know, Willie Mays was phenomenal, but Hammer and Hank just had him by a little bit. I'll tell you, if Ken Griffey Jr.'s prime would have extended another two or three years, three or four years, maybe, could be talking about him too. Um, yeah. one, the, the only guy I can think of that I think is clearly a better player than Hank Aaron is Kurt Schilling. And that's just my opinion that I think Kurt Schilling's <laughs> probably, a, I mean, I think pretty easily the best player to ever play the game. Um, I will tell you, Kurt Schilling might be the most clutch pitcher in baseball history. Regular seasons, uh, you know, he had good regular seasons. He had mediocre regular seasons. Um, he's a Hall of Famer, okay? Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Okay. I wanted, I wanted to get in that. My book. Okay. Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. I think Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame for the thing, the teams he was on, what he was to the teams he was on, and the things he did on those teams. That being said, what a dingbat. I don't mean – I shouldn't say what a dingbat. I'm trying to not be negative and be nice to people I don't know and not talk about them. Look at me. I'm just like these tweet box guys that we're talking about with Adam Bound. I don't know the guy. I don't know him personally. But I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with him and just ask him why on all kinds of levels. Just why, what was coming up, what, what, what were you thinking here, why this, why that. Everybody I've ever heard that knew the guy said that he's – says he's one of the nicest people in the world. And then all of a sudden over like the last five years, something changed. He, he seems uh, a lot of times when he, when he speaks, he seems like he's a little bit of a, a little surly, maybe a little, a little bit of a curmudgeon sometimes, but um, so I think he's gotten more of a reputation and that's what he was saying. So he, we're talking about the hall of fame. Nobody's being inducted into the hall of fame this year. Right. So that, that, that came out, that just came out in the last couple of days here. And in response to that, Kurt Schilling, who uh, pretty obviously feels like he is a Hall of Famer, uh, said, I think next year is his last year on the regular ballot, correct? Uh, yep. and, and, then, and then you go to the uh, veterans ballot or whatever after that. But Veterans committee. Yep. Veterans committee. Um, but he has said, you know what? If you haven't voted me in yet, forget it. Don't even put me on the ballot next year in my last year of, of eligibility. Um, so he, he's, I, I, you know, maybe that's a, an overreaction right now. And maybe in a couple months that wears off and he's like, all right, maybe I overreact a little bit. I'm a little offended because I think I should be in the hall of fame and I haven't been voted. No, he, in his, in his speech or in his letter, the open letter to the to baseball, it said, I don't think I'm a hall of famer. Oh, however, you know, I don't know where the rest of it went, but he said he doesn't consider himself a Hall of Famer. But in the end, you're this close every single year. And it's like, oh, what are we doing? Verge, not verge. It's like, and if, and for him, for him, he has over the last four or five years has been getting flack from everybody, everywhere, every angle, every side gets on him for when he opens his mouth. Mm -hmm. And he feels that, 
his mouth has kept him out of the Hall of Fame, not what he did on the field. And, you know, in a way, do I kind of feel for the guy? I mean, a little bit, but at the same time, I, I, I hate to say don't open your mouth because that's not fair. Because you, you do what you want to do. There's some guys in the Hall of Fame who said way worse stuff than he ever did. Yeah. <laughs> and did way worse things than he ever did. But, you know, and baseball writers are old dingbats these days, it seems like. I mean, at some point in time, you're going to see Clemens. You're going to see Bonds. You're going to see McGuire. You're going to see these guys in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I just don't know when. But I thought Kurt Schilling would have been one that would make it in this being his last year. I, I understand why he wrote the letter, but there was no point. There was no reason to do it. And to do it as an open letter, you obviously want the attention to post the letter at the same time as you send it to him. You, you're, you're begging for it, man. You're begging for attention now. I, that's, the way, that's the way I look at it. That's the way a lot of other people would look at it. If it's differently, then heaven to Betsy, let me know. But I'm just letting you know, Kurt, when you watch this, that's how the world sees it, man. And I know you don't care how the world sees anything, obviously, by your other comments that you make. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, this letter, and I'm probably I shouldn't probably even be talking about this because I have not read the entire thing. I've mostly heard people that have talked about it. Um, but th- isn't this exactly what he's saying is the reason that people aren't putting him in? Like this kind of thing, like this. What he's That's doing. That's good. Letter, yep. Good point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he's he's kind of just doing it again. So. He's standing his ground, man. Standing his ground. <laughs> Not standing his. That's the wrong word. He's uh, he's he's you know, playing his playing game. to the back of his baseball card, right? <laughs> playing to the back of his baseball card. Nicely done. It, you know, I, I remember the last couple years, the last two or three years, really, probably every year we've been doing this podcast. Um, when the Hall of Fame ballot comes up, we have been doing ours and saying who yep. we think on the ballot should make it. And we didn't do that this year, but we, uh, I remember looking at all that stuff last year and being surprised about how much, how borderline he is for me. Like, cause before I started looking into all his numbers and everything, career numbers, I thought, well, yeah, Kurt Schilling, of course he's a hall of famer. Why isn't he in yet? And then when I went back and looked you know, he, some of his, he had some seasons that I'm like, Oh man, I don't remember. I don't remember him having a 497 ERA this year or, you know, having a, a down year this year or whatever, or, or only having 12 wins or something. I thought he was like a perennially a 1920 win guy every year he pitched or something that, in my head. That's what, that's who he was. Um, but well, what did probably, your eye, what's that? What did your eye tell you when you watched Kurt Schilling? That's the thing. That's your what eye. T- exactly. The hall of famer. Exactly. That's what I mean. But before I looked at his numbers, I'm like, well, yeah, I, you know, 2004 world series or whatever I, for that alone, almost he, he should, he should go in, you know, with the, he put the ketchup on a sock and all that kind of thing. And, and um, so <laughs> you know, the, the, the ketchup sock stunt is, is hall of fame worthy to me. So um, no, I, I, it was, it was just interesting to see him say that. And um you know, who knows? I, I guess, was it this year? Was his last year or next year is his last year on the ballot? Next year is his last That's next year. Okay. Okay. So he said, forget it. Don't even put me on. You know, and you know, the other thing is, I feel like there are a lot of guys in his same position that just aren't saying it. Scott Rowland, I think is, 
is kind of sitting, you know, maybe he doesn't, doesn't quite have the credentials, but um, he, he, his number, his percentage jumped up like 20 or 25% this year from last year. So Only because played, there was nobody. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I mean, it's usually we see that like, if you jump a, a pretty good amount, the next year, you're going to go a little higher next year. You're going to go a little higher usually. And so, you know, there's a chance Scott Rowland in a couple of years might, might make the hall of fame. Scott Rowland might get in and Kurt Schilling might not. And it's kind of, kind of weird to think of it. So it is weird to think of it that way, because if I mean, you can look at people's regular seasons and say, okay, well, you know, Rowland had some phenomenal years and, and Schilling had some phenomenal years and maybe they had some mediocre years, each of them both. But what Kurt, like I said, what Kurt Schilling did for those Diamondback teams, for those red, for that Red Sox team, for it's, 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 that stuff sets you apart, man. It puts, it sets you apart. Yeah. And to me, he was one of the most clutch playoff pitchers to ever step foot on a baseball field. It's like Madison Bumgarner, right? Bumgarner can have a terrible year, but he's probably the first guy I want on the mound in a playoff game. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Um, it was just, it was just kind of interesting to hear Kurt Schilling be so loud about being disappointed about not making it this year in his second to last year on the ballot. Uh, so anyway, all right, let's, uh, let's jump into, so we, it feels really weird that we went through our Mount Rushmore so quickly on such a big topic that we we were planning on spending so much time on, but that's okay. That's totally okay. Yeah. Uh, because we still have, we still have our comedy segment, which, which we love that too. So let's jump into that. Uh, you chose last week, you chose, uh, Chris Rock's special Netflix just kind of re-released his tambourine special from last year. Uh, total yeah. out the tambourine extended. So, so Adam, I, I, I was expecting, I, I know it said extended cut. I, I remember watching tambourine. I don't really know where the differences come in, except for the cool little interviews. Those were nice. Uh, the Howard Stern interview was not nearly as funny like as the interview in the very beginning that was when he's with Jimmy Fallon that was I was hoping that there was just going to be the Jimmy Fallon show because he was cracking me up yeah. in that uh anyway I'll, you go first go first tell me what you think I, well number one I agree wholeheartedly let's I was going to say that is I didn't pick out a whole lot of differences now my memory is awful but I, I, I know I watched Tambourine, and as he was saying a lot, most of these jokes, I'm like, that sounds familiar. Coming back. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, so at the end of it, I'm like, well, yeah, the Jimmy Fallon thing, the Howard Stern thing, those were cool. I agree with you. And I'm not sure, like, there were maybe one or two other jokes that I'm like, hmm, maybe I, maybe I didn't hear this one. Or maybe this is like a, you know, there were like more tags onto, onto you know, a joke that I had heard before or something like that. But yeah. Um, Either way, it was really funny. I loved it. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you, one of my favorite things is when comedians go on talk shows. Uh, sometimes it doesn't go well, but I mean, that's part of I sit there while I'm working all day and I go through YouTube clip after YouTube clip of comedians on podcasts and on, uh, and on talk shows. And at some of the funniest stuff 
ever. People on Conan, people on uh, on Letterman, and all all the guys and Fallon. Um, so I love that. So I, it would be even better if they add if they just added a whole like his last ten appearances on things like that and stuck that in there. I, I think that would have been awesome, yep. all in one place at, at the same time. Um, so I, you know, I don't know how different it was. Like I said, my my memory's terrible, but um, if I if I mostly just got to rewatch Tambourine, excellent. So I'm I'm giving this total blackout. I'm giving it a. Uh, I'm giving it a four point five. Nice. Well, I'll tell you this: we I've got four point five written down. So we did the exact gave it the exact same. And it's for me, I, like you, like you said at the end, I just felt like I had to rewatch Tambourine, but I had no problem with that. I had zero problem doing that. Chris Rock is, is one of my favorite comedians. Um, and I don't ever really remember how much I love Chris Rock until I watch a special, right? Cause after you watch a special, you just think about Chris Rock and it's like, Oh yeah, Chris Rock's got some funny stuff, but eh, you know, he can get a little, he can get a little loud or whatever. But then you watch a special and it's like, dude, this dude, everything that comes out of his mouth is funny. There's no parts in there where you're like, okay, when's the next one coming? Never. You maybe not belly laugh, but you laugh at everything that he does. And it's mostly at him because of the way he delivers. There's no one that is Chris Rock and talks. I feel like Kevin Hart kind of has that his own he's got his own delivery, right? Like Kevin Hart is like, there's the, a lot of comedians. You could say, Oh, that guy's a lot like him. He's a lot like him. He's a lot like him. Mm-hmm. Like Chris Rock is, is just Chris Rock. There is no, nobody else like Chris Rock. So yeah. I love the dude. I thought it was great. I don't like, like you said as well. Like I said earlier, I don't, I don't know what the extended cut was because I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, I remember that. Yep. Starting to ring a bell. Yep. I kind of remember that. Yep. Anyway, 4.5. I'm totally good with it. You know, I'm pretty sure one other thing that they did add was afterward. Um, They showed him in the green room afterward and uh, Dave Chappelle and Arsenio Hall. Maybe, maybe one other guy was in there and, and it started with Dave Chappelle telling Chris Rock how incredible he is. And he's like, basically, yeah. he's like, you're like my favorite comedian. So he's like, he's my favorite comedian's favorite comedian. So I mean, like, and I, and I thought that same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that same thing when you were talking about uh, I, terrible time to throw this all the way back to here. But when you're talking about Vince Scully calling Hank Aaron's home, you know, record breaking yeah. home run, how lucky were we to have Vin, the maybe probably the greatest broadcast baseball broadcaster ever to be broadcasting that and, and calling that game. And I thought in that moment, I also thought it is our favorite broad Vin Scully is our favorite broadcaster's favorite broadcaster. So um, that just kind of <laughs> came to me twice today. Uh, but anyway, that, that was another cool thing that Dave Chappelle was there and Arsenio Hall was there. I, I keep thinking there was another guy there too that I keep, but anyway, and then they talked about, um, I don't know if it was on that or if I saw like an extended clip somewhere else from that same thing, but they, to- they told uh, stories like Arsenio was t- talking about. Um, oh yeah. Cause they were talking about like 
because those guys are like contemporaries and they like, they like each other, you know, they're friends and they, they love each other's comedy and they support each other. And it, they were talking about how that, what, it wasn't always like that back in the day. Like Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy weren't friends. Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor were not friends. Eddie Murphy. We and talk, Bill we Cosby. Yeah. And, we and talk on this podcast, Eddie Murphy talks about how he, he, he idolized, idolized um, Richard Pryor. And then when he, when he met him, it was like, you know, he starts hearing that Richard Pryor is talking like, talking about him behind his back and like you don't you know like there's only room for one black comedian and 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 you you know i'm i'm him you're not him and, and uh, prior obviously got it from cosby and that's that's it's cool to see those guys together yeah yeah because it's they're all great and so you want them to be friends you know like it's 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 same same in like basketball it's kind of cool to see you know you do kind of you do like that competition when they're on the floor and stuff like that and it's a basketball is different than comedy because you're actually competing against each other literally competing against each other Mm -hmm. but and you want to see that competitive drive and you want to see some you know you know some some pushing against each other but um it it is kind of cool that like you know you like lebron james and Luka Doncic and they like each other or who, whatever, you know, yeah. whoever the two players, but, um, but that was cool. And, and I, I liked the, uh, that Arsenio was telling the story about how I think they think he said it was at the cellar that Richard Pryor was up and Eddie Murphy was kind of an up and coming and like people start, were starting to realize how great he was. And he was like the next big thing. And somebody gave Richard Pryor a note while he was doing his set and said, that in the note said that Eddie Murphy's here. So basically Eddie Murphy popped in. And so he was going to go next. So the comedian before you kind of introduces you and Richard Pryor said, like finished his, finished his joke or whatever. And he's like, and he says something like uh, this next guy. um, Well, they say he's the next me, but I'm not done. I'm still me or something like that. And uh, yeah, and he said, uh, Eddie Murphy. And so Eddie Murphy comes up and Richard doesn't like walk out or walk to the back of the room. He walks to the step on the edge of the stage and sits on that step and watches Eddie Murphy do his stuff and kind of like a little pressure, you know? And yep. uh, so I, I, that was just a cool story to hear, you know? Um, but anyway, that was another part that they, that I think they added on to the end of that. Yeah, without it. Yeah, well, I don't remember the end of Tambourine, so like the credits part. So I doubt it was though. That seems like something they would have added for this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. There you go, man. So it was good. So now you have to pick a comedy special. That's right. So and I have to pick. Yes. Would you like to go first, or would you like me? No, not not at all. All right, you look around the room and find something to do a Mount Rushmore for, and I'll tell you my comedy special, all right? So <laughs> last year, last year being 2020, and <laughs> now it's 2020 <laughs> last year to me, uh, a comedian that I, that I like, I'm pretty sure we haven't done this guy yet. We've done so many now, I'm starting to forget some of them, but I'm pretty sure we have not done this guy, um, and I've wanted to for a while. Guy by the name of Dan Cummins. C-U-M-M-I-N-S, Dan Cummins. Um, I, he's, I think he's kind of most like Chad Daniels. We did Chad Daniels, his special dad, Daniels. Um, and yep. 
Dan Cummins is kind of similar to him, kind of a similar humor and a kind of the same age. He has kids. He has, you know, he's married. He talks, talks a lot about that stuff, um, but really funny guy. And he did a special last year called get out of here. Devil get out of here. Semicolon, maybe the first semicolon in the title of a comedy special. And then devil exclamation point. It is on Amazon prime. Amazon prime. Got it. Free on Amazon prime. So if you have Amazon prime and you everybody is, Almost everybody has everybody. Everybody's got Amazon. Prime. Everybody's got it. All right. <laughs> All right. So for my Mount Rushmore, I'm going with the Mount Rushmore of Nintendo video games. Old Nintendo video games. Oh gosh. Good on you, my man. That's good stuff. All, All right. right. So Big thanks to Adam Bound today. Uh, sad day this earlier this week with uh, with Mr. Hank Aaron. Hopefully Xavier gets to play basketball on Friday. Uh, outside of that, we got uh, Cummins get out of get out of here, Devil, Devil. <laughs> and Mount Rushmore of Nintendo video games. And we'll probably talk a little bit about the upcoming Super Bowl next week, too. Yes, yes. We'll talk about uh, – that's good, yes. We'll talk about Super Bowl, Pat Mahomes. We'll go over the spreads, and we'll probably make some kind of bet on it. Uh, Why not? Sounds like fun. All right. So, there you go. So, we'll go from there. And until next week, don't forget to turn on your headlights.